Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. I want to begin by looking back at the 2019 season just for a moment. The Georgia Bulldogs went 12-2 in 2019, they won the Sugar Bowl, and they finished fourth in the country. Now, let's be honest here. At that time, given the track record of Georgia football history over the previous decades, that's a pretty good season, right? I mean, you can't say much about finishing the top four, winning the Sugar Bowl. That had historically been a pretty big deal. Uh, 12 and 2, that's not a bad record at all. That's, you know, nothing, nothing, for the most part, in the perception of, you know, most college football fans, especially if you kind of bring the entire country into this, being 12 and 2, winning a New Year's Six Bowl and finishing the top four of the country, you don't have a ton to complain about. But Georgia wanted to be better than that. And so Georgia made a lot of changes at the conclusion of the 2019 season. Now, we didn't know pandemic was on the way, which makes the 2020 year weird. But Georgia brought in Todd Munkin as its offensive coordinator. And the rest, as they say, was history. Georgia got almost immediately better in the 2020 season. Hard to tell, though, because of how weird that year was. But it's pretty obvious, based on 2021, 2022, that Todd Munkin really had this offense humming at a huge, huge level, including this past season, what turned out to be Munkin's final year at Georgia. The numbers are just staggering. Georgia, which had a long time kind of been considered more of a defensive first program and with good reason the 2021 defense may have been the best defense in college football history Georgia had sort of been thought of as kind of a defensive first program but there are a couple of offensive numbers that Georgia put together in 2022 that are just eye-popping uh Georgia had 98 plays of 20 or more yards last year tops in the country nobody in the country had more scrimmage plays of 20 or more yards than Georgia did last season 98 of them that's amazing and equally as amazing in three postseason games SEC championship Peach Bowl national semifinal against Ohio State national championship game against TCU Georgia scored 157 points like that's 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 outrageous it's outrageous uh Georgia saw itself in 2019 as a good team as a good team top four 12 and two sugar bowl champs but we know at that time the Georgia offense wasn't really performing an elite level only averaging what about 35 or so points per game I think that you know somewhere like 70th or something in, in the country that year uh really not scoring very many points at all when it came to SEC play so you hire Todd Munkin and as I said a moment ago the rest was history now here's the thing I want you to understand and this is my reason for bringing all this up Georgia made all of this look really easy they saw an area in which they needed improvement they made a hire the improvement took place and the results were borne out almost automatically but here's the thing you got to understand, y'all. There are other examples in college football that all of this wasn't nearly as easy as Georgia made it look. Let me give you a side-by-side comparison. Now, what's cool is, is we actually talked about this at the time. We said, hey, moving forward, we were going to measure these two teams side-by-side with each other. And eventually, the comparison favored Georgia so much, we almost stopped talking about it. But the same year in 2019 that Georgia finished number four, went 12-2, and two, won a major bowl game. Do you know who finished number five that year, also going 12-2 and two, and also winning a major bowl game? is Oregon. Oregon was 12-2 and two that year, won the Rose Bowl, finished fifth in the country. They also had, you know, pretty good defense, pretty good offensive line. They ran the ball pretty well, but they weren't scoring nearly enough points. So what did Oregon do that offseason? 
They hired Joe Moorhead as their offensive coordinator. Moorhead was a respected guy. He had been offensive coordinator at Penn State, been head coach at Mississippi State. He's still kind of a guy that gets some respect. He's what head coach at Akron now, is in the mix of the Alabama offensive coordinator job a little bit. But the transformation that Oregon sought offensively with Mario Cristobal as head coach, it never happened. Now, they also dealt with an even weirder 2020 than Georgia did because they're far out west, and you know the story with all of that. So we didn't really get to measure Joe Moorhead very much in the 2020 season, but in 2021 there at Oregon, the offensive improvement that both programs had sought for itself, Georgia got all of that, Oregon didn't get any of it, and eventually Mario Cristobal left Oregon to go to Miami. You know the story for him in his first year there with the uh, Miami Hurricanes. Josh Gaddis, former uh, Broyles Award winner at Michigan, was offensive coordinator. But once again, Mario Cristobal had a hard time finding the offense that he had been looking for ever since having been uh, at Oregon when you had the quarterback, you seemingly had everything going for you, but you just weren't scoring enough points. My reason for saying all that is, is that when you watch the offensive transformation, taking place at Georgia the way that Georgia went from a good team outside the college football playoff to a back-to-back national champion I think we would all agree that the offensive transformation that Todd Munkin helped oversee is a big reason why that took place now back in Los Angeles when we were there for the uh, national championship I had a chance to just briefly talk Todd Munkin about this I had a chance to ask him hey from your perspective as one of the guys who was the architect of this as one of the guys that helped transform this offense when you got here to where you are now what was it like doing that now Munkin was always excessively candid and this is an example of that also a little long-winded maybe too but nonetheless Munkin going into detail about exactly how it was that he put this Georgia offense together and the early growing pains they had there in that 2020 season that kind of eventually paved the way for what we all saw over the course of the last two years this is how Todd Munkin explained all of that you know coming back from the NFL to college four years is a long time Two years could be a long time of like how the game's evolving, what players you have. Well, we didn't have spring ball, COVID, all three months. We're doing everything on Zoom. You don't have any ability to evaluate your players. You have no ability to evaluate scheme, what you think you're going to do, what you end up doing. You're like, eventually, like, well, that's not worth a shit. That was stupid. Well, I didn't know that four months before. And we got halfway through the year that first year, like, well, we can't do that. We don't need a deep drop. We don't need these certain things. And you just get better and then you realize how the college game is changing and you get better and you trust your staff and you know we had all these great defensive players we just got we got our tails knocked in the dirt every day you know and um it has evolved in a lot of ways and um it's been a credit to our staff it's been a credit to time it's been a credit to watching what other people are doing and what fits for us so i play that clip to explain this point which is so much of the Georgia offensive change happened so quickly to go from being eh, pretty good to, oh my gosh, 98 plays of 20 or more yards, 157 points in three postseason games. So much of this happened so fast that it almost looked like it was easy. But when you hear Todd Munkin describe, hey, what we had to learn in 2020, the way that I had to kind of evolve my thinking so that we would have everything we needed for this offense in other words I'm trying this now I'm going to try this and eventually it kind of all falls into place and eventually you kind of get into the situation where you're kind of humming along there 
what you see is, is the real word to describe it is it was simple, but it was not easy. Simple, but not easy. In other words, hey, we're going to take great athletes. We're going to put them in a, in a position to succeed. Uh, it, it's simple in terms of how we're going to, you know, the outcome that we're seeking here. But it's not easy in terms of the path we're going to travel to get there. And the proof of the fact that it wasn't easy is the fact that another program like an Oregon or another coach like a Mario Cristobal seeking the same kind of offensive upgrade over the course of the same period of time just hasn't gotten it. And all of a sudden now, Cristobal has kind of gone from being what looked like one of the rising stars in the coaching ranks to all of a sudden now you're left to wonder, does this guy still count among the top coaches in college football? Because he has not found the offensive success that Kirby Smart has enjoyed as the head coach of Georgia over the course of the last couple of seasons. And so all of that is a setup to simply say this. Tomorrow, Georgia begins spring practice. And a lot of this won't be proven during spring practice, but spring practice is the setup for what is going to happen in the summer, and the summer is the setup for what's going to happen in the season. And as you look to this offseason for Georgia as it gets ready to go for a third straight national championship here in 2023, it is obvious to me that the biggest offseason storyline for Georgia is can it remain as good offensively as it has been? Now, I am a believer that Mike Bobo is probably a pretty good hire for UGA. I think the track record for Bobo is a little bit better than some of you all have maybe given it credit for, but nonetheless, reasonable people can disagree on that. Uh, my, that happens to be my point of view. Maybe your point of view is a, a little bit different, but but nonetheless, I think that Mike Bobo stands as a pretty good hire for UGA. I also firmly believe that Kirby Smart, given his status right now as a back-to-back national champion, he gets to make the hire he wants to make. Bobo was the hire he wanted to make. That's the choice that he's made. This is an example of to the victor goes the spoils, the freedom to make the choice that you want. Kirby Smart clearly desires more greatness for UGA. He believes that Bobo is the guy that helps get them there. This is his choice to make. However, let's also acknowledge this as the choice is made, as the transition to Mike Bobo takes place. Let's acknowledge a simple fact that the standard for Georgia remains what it is. Georgia has been great on both sides of the ball the last couple of years. That's why it's the reigning national champion. No one has been able to match, even in 2021 when the defense was getting more attention, no one over the course of the last two seasons has been able to match Georgia's penchant for being dominant both offensively and defensively. Kirby calls it complimentary football. No one's been able to do uh, that as well as Georgia has. That's why Georgia has won the last new na- two national championships. And as you move ahead to 2023, we believe the outlook for the Georgia defense is quite high. Most of you do there as well. And with the transition occurring on offense, we think the same outlook uh, exists for the Georgia offense. But there is, I'll, I'll, I'll use the word, there is a little bit of pressure here to make sure that Georgia keeps pace with what Todd Munkin wa- was doing, with what Stetson Bennett as Munkin's quarterback was doing. There is a little bit of pressure here, Georgia offensively, to keep pace with what was a dominant unit last year and probably better than a lot of folks realize in 2021. And the the work on this doesn't just begin with spring practice the work on this uh has likely already started weeks ago uh certainly when uh this georgia team found out that munkin was leaving that mike bobo is going to be in place i remember talking to jake Fromm about this of course Fromm, the former georgia quarterback uh i remember talking to him about this a few weeks ago back when we were still trying to figure out was munkin staying was he leaving i remember Fromm saying at the time that that as a quarterback you wanted to know what offense you're going to be running you wanted to know who your coordinator was going to be well Georgia has kind of known this with Bobo for a while but let's go back and hear Jake Fromm talk about just how important it is to kind of get that system in place so you can be ready to go once spring practice begins here's a reminder from Jake Fromm a few weeks ago 
look, I, I think this is kind of a big deal. Maybe I'm, I'm speaking from a quarterback perspective, but uh, whoever's offense we're running, like, I want to know, uh, and I want to get that playbook as fast as I can and being able to learn as much as I can before spring practice because I need those reps. I need to go ahead and take as many mental reps as I can, get good with the verbiage, get good with the language, uh, and be able to have my own side practices with these guys uh, to get done what needs to get done before we ever step on the grass and have a spring practice. So I think this is kind of a big deal. And So I think that's interesting from Jake Fromm. And you may remember last week we played just some of the audio from Carson Beck, who was on the Players' Lounge deal with Aaron Murray talking about the fact that he started getting comfortable with Mike Bobo a little bit when Buster Faulkner stepped away prior to the national championship, at least when Faulkner was stepping away from those practices prior to the national championship, that Carson Beck was getting acclimated to Mike Bobo even during that time. So the transition that Jake Fromm says needs to take place, Carson Beck told us last week, maybe it is taking place. But all of this is simply to say that Mike Bobo brings – a lot to this job but he'll also face big expectations in the job the Georgia offense has been great the last couple of seasons uh especially maybe in 2022 with the full experience of Stetson Bennett and as Georgia tries to take that step towards winning a national championship in 2023 the expectation is to be great once again 40 points per game you know putting together the explosive plays you know doing all of those things that the biggest storyline we're going to see play out for Georgia over the course of this offseason starting in spring practice continuing with the build-up to games later on this fall is how much Georgia can do to replicate the offensive success of a year ago with a brand new quarterback with a brand new coordinator that is where a lot of the attention on this Georgia football team is going to be as we head towards uh, 2023. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented today by Pella, window and door of Georgia. Happy to have you with us, no matter how you get to us today. Live on video, 945 for our first and 15, dognation.com, the Dog Nation app. 10 a.m. after that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, Radio Noon, Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref, and as a podcast, wherever you find them, including the world-famous dognation.com. Just really happy to have you with us and really excited about the start of spring practice starting tomorrow and obviously following a lot of those storylines as it all plays out. And, of course, big thanks to our friends at Pella Window and Door of Georgia for making it all possible for us here today. You know, we love Pella because they can help equip your house with energy-efficient windows and doors. Uh, they're recognized brand leader when it comes to that kind of product you know making your house look better on the outside feel better on the inside and for those of your homeowners you want to make the best decisions you can to really preserve your home's value and make it feel the way that it's supposed to feel and look the way that it's supposed to look and pillow windows and doors can be a big step in that direction for you so i think it's maybe time for you to have that consultation that conversation with one of those pillow experts now, there's no pressure attached there's there's no hard sales pitch it's simply an informative meeting to informational type meeting to learn what makes pillow the best learn why uh, it's the right choice for you if you're looking to maybe save money on energy bills or maybe increase the curb pill your home those 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 Pella windows those Pella doors can go a long way towards doing that you also get great savings right now there as well between now and March 26 you can get 50% off qualifying installations or no payments no interest until 2024 so do me a favor reach out to Pella of GA.com slash dog nation that's Pella of GA.com slash dog nation or give them a call 678-638-1429 that's 678-638-1429 Pella window and door of Georgia is viewed to be the best I'll also tell you this they're also a big sponsor for a dog nation next generation series that we're doing right now Go back to this past week, uh, a really interesting profile of Monroe Freeling, one of the incoming freshmen. I think he plays an important role for this Georgia team here this year. Good look at Monroe with Jeff Sintel, our good friend Kaylee Manziel, 
All of that on the Dog Nation pages last week. All of that brought to you by uh, Pella Window and Door of Georgia there. So make sure you check all of that out. We're going to check out John Stinchcomb here coming up in a moment. Fun conversation with him previewing spring practice. Prior to that, though, I want to go around the doghouse. And there was an interesting recruiting note from this weekend. And it kind of leads me to sort of say something beyond the world of recruiting. And I think some of you may agree with this. Some of you may not. I think it shapes up to be a pretty interesting conversation. But let's start with this. Let's go back to Friday on our show. Jeff Sintel here, Dog Nation Recruiting Insider, talking to Jeff about the fact that the month of March brings the end of the dead period, the opportunity for Georgia to host some big-time visitors, a lot of chatter about guys coming into UG, of course, the next couple of weeks. Dylan Riola, the quarterback, maybe most prominent on that list. But Jeff talked about another guy who's also slated to maybe take a couple of visits to Georgia here over the course of the next couple of months, the five-star wide receiver, the impressive Ohio State commit, Jeremiah Smith. This is what Jeff said about Smith from Friday's show. It sets us up for a conversation today. Here is Jeff on Smith. Jeremiah Smith is a hot name now in Georgia football recruiting circles, probably the hottest since he spoke down in in Under Armour in Orlando, nation's number one receiver. Right now I'm just going to say he has transcendent talent for the position where what do I mean by that? Meaning that he would be the number one receiver in the country for a lot of years. If you look at the last five or ten years, um, Jeremiah Smith would probably be the number one prospect in that class at wide receiver for at least half of those years. That's how good of a player he is. Um, he's expected to be in town whenever Riola's in town. He's even told reporters down at the Under Armour in Orlando this past Sunday that um, he's going to be in a couple of times. He's going to give Georgia an official visit. Of course, he's currently committed to Ohio State, which amplifies the Kilimanjaro level of difficulty here for Georgia. Yeah, so Jeff calls it a Kilimanjaro level of difficulty. What he means by that is Ohio State has probably recruited wide receivers better than almost any program has recruited any position on the uh, list of coaches kind of outside the Georgia sphere I have the most respect for. Brian Hartline, the longtime wide receivers coach at Ohio State, he might be tops on that list. I think it was a big deal this year that Ohio State kept him. Hartline maybe had a chance to be Cincinnati head coach but chose to stay at Ohio State. That was a big deal for the Buckeyes. Hartline's a very good coach. So it's not necessarily my prediction here. Ah, oh, George is going to flip Jeremiah Smith away from uh, Ohio State the same way kind of wrestled away Damon Wilson the last recruiting cycle or might wrestle away uh, Dylan Raiola here during this recruiting cycle. It's really not my prediction necessarily uh, that George is going to wrestle Smith away from the Buckeyes, but it does seem like that George is a factor in the Jeremiah Smith recruitment here right now. Smith was in town this weekend for a uh, recruiting event but also apparently took a visit to georgia as jeff predicted that he would in fact let me show you this on the screen here uh, a little bit of a preview of a story that jeff has at dognation.com really good photos from smith over the weekend here in the atlanta area and jeff also putting out on twitter yesterday there was a big visit to georgia for five-star wide receiver jeremiah smith a lot of ground to cover on this he talks about what he likes best about the dogs the status of his ohio state commitment and what he would do if dylan riola also chose uga so my reason for bringing all this up is I do think the Jeremiah Smith recruitment is one to watch. It seems like Smith and Riola are a little bit close. And Smith, as Jeff pointed out, has kind of revealed some details about Riola's recruitment that weren't necessarily public information prior to Jeremiah Smith bringing them out. But my other reason for bringing all this up is this. The back and forth this kind of creates on social media I think is really fun to watch. Now, I'll be totally honest with you. I think when it's all said and done, I guess if I was a betting man, I would sort of bet on Ohio State probably holding on to Jeremiah Smith because they seem to just do that when it comes to wide receivers. They've got a pretty big track record there. You've got to give them some respect for that. But nonetheless, the kind of back and forth between Georgia fans and Ohio State fans that kind of started this recruiting cycle with Damon Wilson obviously continues based on the win that uh, Georgia got uh, against the Buckeyes in the, uh, in the Peach Bowl and everything else. 
Here's what I believe right now. I believe right now that the biggest possible opponent that Georgia could play in 2023 is Ohio State. I think for a long time, that's probably been Alabama. Now, I'm not using the word rival here. Rival is a different type of word. You know, Georgia has a rivalry with Florida and and Auburn. I don't think that Georgia has a rivalry with Ohio State. Frankly, I'm not even sure it has a rivalry with with Alabama. These are more, you know, like arch nemesis type situations. These are more hated foes that kind of stand in the way of you getting what you want to get. For a long time, Alabama, to kind of use the language of video games, I guess, for a minute, has kind of been sort of like the the end of game boss that Georgia had to conquer, sort of the Bowser's castle of Georgia's own pursuit of a season. But honestly, I'm not quite so sure that Alabama is good enough to be that right now. They certainly weren't in 2022. They lost you know two games in the regular season. And it's not obvious to me they're going to be better here this upcoming season. They might, but it's not obvious to me they will. That Alabama right now, I don't think stands as the biggest team that Georgia could play. I think it's Ohio State. And frankly, I think there's a chance that Tennessee is even a bigger opponent right now for Georgia than when Alabama is just based on the energy that exists around that Georgia-Tennessee game from a year ago. Maybe Alabama does something to change that during the season. But as it stands right now, you have to acknowledge there's a lot of energy around Georgia and Ohio State even though it's not obvious that they'll play each other in 2023. Frankly, Ohio State has to prove worthy of even getting the rematch against Georgia. They've got to, you know, maybe get past Michigan, you know, you know, perform for for all season long just to earn the right to be able to do that. But it's pretty obvious that these two teams have kind of gotten to know each other a little bit since the Peach Bowl and some of the recent recruiting battles and things like that. It's kind of obvious these two fan bases do not like each other uh, very much. And the, the, the battle here for Jeremiah Smith may be just more evidence of that. So when you think about the 2023 season, obviously the regular season doesn't offer a lot of fireworks, but as you start kind of imagining what could happen in the postseason, SEC championship against Alabama, college ball playoff rematch against Ohio State, uh, if that were to uh, come to pass, I think it stands right now that the Buckeyes have actually surpassed Alabama in terms of the biggest games that Georgia could play. Not every Georgia fan will agree with that, but I would be curious to hear what dog fans want to say. So feel free to weigh in on that if you want to, and we'll keep that conversation going. By the way, for now, speaking of conversations going, as we transition from around the doghouse, as we said before, spring practice starts tomorrow. A lot to discuss about what UGA going to put on display, position battles taking place. Let's preview all of that right now. Let's welcome on John Stinchcomb here to Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Dwarf Georgia. We call this a Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insight. And by the way, speaking of Marlowe's Tavern, we'll remind folks here in a moment that we got a big event coming out with myself, John Stinchcomb, at Marlowe's. And you've got a limited opportunity still left to jump in here and get involved in this we'll tell you more about the marlowe's tavern vip insider lunch we're going to be doing later on we'll do that here coming up in just a moment john prior to that let me kind of dive in here and uh kind of keep a conversation going obviously getting ready for spring practice tomorrow one of the things i said before you joined us is when i look at this georgia offense here this year transitioning from mike bobo to todd monk and i believe the, the the bobo hire was a good one because I think he's had success at Georgia before, and I think he was on the staff a year ago. There is both a level of credibility here and potential continuity here that I like, but that doesn't change the fact there's some profe- there, there's some pressure to perform. Georgia offensively was great the last two seasons, and not every program that tries to make that transition to better offensive play, not every program succeeds in doing that, but Georgia really did. You've got to give the old guy that used to be here, Todd Monk, and a lot of credit for why that happened. Do you view the transition offensively as as big an offseason storyline as I do? 
I do. I think Todd Munkin was one of the best, if not the best, uh, coordinators in college football last year, really over the past two years. So when you lose him, I mean, there is obviously a concern that there's drop-off. And one of the main reasons you're back-to-back national champions is because of the way Georgia was able to keep defenses on their toes and guessing and uh, adjusting to the number of formations and personnel groupings and just weapons that were utilized each week. And it seemed to be a different player that was highlighted and different uh, abilities that were uh, shown more light than others. And you're creating opportunities for Brock and so forth. And so anytime you're replacing a coordinator of that caliber, there's concern. Now, what I do like is Bobo's a proven commodity offensively. I mean, we know that he's capable of putting together game plans um, successfully uh, from an offensive coordinator perspective. And so uh, it's not that homer pick that sometimes this is being painted as. is like, oh, well, it's just it was easy or uh, Kirby had personal relationships, so that's why Bobo gets the job. No, I think it's because of his – uh, his chops as an offensive coordinator and what he's proven. Even when he was here at the University of Georgia, I also like the fact that he is very familiar with uh, a lot of the pieces offensively, having been at practice and seen and, and the development of guys over the year, um, not to mention had a, a heavy hand in, in designing the plays and putting together um, approaches each week. So was very much a part of that offensive team and group and, and coaching unit this past season. Uh, looking at your position here from the offensive line spot, one of the things we talked about a lot last week is is that it seems like, you know, Amarius Mims kind of slides in at one of the offensive tackle spots, and I think it'll be interesting to see. Does he stay at right side where he played something in the last year? Does he become the left tackle here this year? That'll be an interesting question to ask. Maybe you've got an opinion on that. But another guy that may be ready to step in here right now is Ernest Green. He's battled injury, but – you know, we heard from guys like Broderick Jones and Warren McClendon, the NFL scouting combine, that that green, they were very impressed with him last spring prior to the injury about how polished he arrived at Georgia. So what you have here, John, is in the case of green, if he does emerge as the starter, a guy who has an amazing level of talent, this is a real high end prospect, but on the other hand, not really experienced. So how would you feel, John, or how, you know, how do you potentially feel about putting a big time prospect who's got some polish? Who's got some, um, you know, some 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 athletic credentials, but doesn't really have that in-game experience? What do you think about a guy like that being tabbed as a potential starter on the offensive line at an offensive tackle spot where Georgia got a very high level of play, uh, you know, prior to, to kind of him emerging here? Yeah, I and mean, I think that's the kind of the nature of the beast, right? I'd much rather you're going to have to replace players um, annually, and it seems like offensive line has been a position of strength for quite some time at Georgia. I mean, a number of guys uh, gone on the first round in the draft, and, and that trend will continue with Broderick this year. So replacing those pieces is never easy. With that said, when you've been able to recruit the level of talent that Georgia has, specifically in the offensive line room, you're much better positioned to do that. And whether the, um, the, the slight drop-off there is when you're replacing guys of their caliber that um, have the experience, but they were in similar roles. Uh, you know, when Warren McClendon took over at right tackle years ago, you're going, ah, I don't know. It's, you know, what, what's the drop off look like from Isaiah Wilson and Andrew Thomas as we transition and Jamari Salyer and now Broderick and Warren. So, 
um, that's just kind of the nature of the beast. And I, I think what's great for Georgia is the ability to keep so many high-caliber players in that discussion, Ernest Green being the next name up, and Amarius Mims retaining him last season. I know this time of year we're talking about him taking trips to Florida State and whether or not Georgia is going to be able to, to retain him. So I think the ability for Georgia to recruit and retain that level of talent will will kind of weather the storm much better than other programs just because the, the cupboard isn't empty and there's a number of players that are going to be vying for those spots. I, I think Xavier Truss was a guy that originally when he came to Georgia probably project more as a tackle than a guard and has done more than a serviceable job on the interior. So there's a number of players that are, are most likely capable and now you're doing what every good team wants to do is figuring out who the best five are, much less you know, trying to five five guys that can get the job done. I, I think Georgia's in a position where it's like, all right, we've probably got seven, maybe eight that are capable, and it's just a matter of who's further along in their development. You know this quarterback competition is about to be watched quite closely. Um, what are your thoughts on it in terms of – how are you preparing to kind of watch for it? If you're a player, what are you looking for? But if, you know, kind of now someone who's going to be kind of watching this kind of play out through the media and then on G-Day, you know, what are you looking for? You know, what would let you know, hey, this guy, you know, kind of has it, you know, is this Carson's job to lose? Do you see one of these younger guys maybe making that push? Just, I'd be just be curious about the quarterback competition from any, any, any vantage point from you. Sure, I think Carson is certainly the front runner, right? I mean, he's he's been in the program longest. They they're most familiar with what he brings to the table. But I do feel like this is a an open competition, as much as that word is is overused at times. I think that actually applies in this scenario that um, they're each each quarterback is going to be evaluated, and it's the execution of the offense um, under their helm. So it's going to be not only leadership and, and their ability to connect and um, get everyone on the same page, but just execution. How well can uh, this player um, execute on what we're asking him to do? I know this sounds very generic, but this time of year, that that really does matter. And if you can coordinate the, the, the plays and the players into success, I mean, that's, that's what you're always looking for. So Carson's familiarity with the program, the program's familiarity with him, certainly puts him in the driver's seat but i don't think uh, i think it's probably a, a one bridge too far to say it's his position to lose i yeah. don't think he's laid claim to it yet i mean yeah. then that's yet another room where they've recruited really well and um it it makes for a much better situation when you're trying to replace a guy that's been you know so reliable and i noticed uh was it a couple weeks ago on, on the Mount Rushmore of Georgia that his Stetson's picture appeared more than once. So, you know, that's never easy replacement. But again, it's that level of recruiting that enables you to to sit back and go, I don't expect a huge drop off in in any spot. Let me tell you what I think is interesting. I'm going to try to explain this the best that I possibly can. Obviously, everyone will be looking to see how well the best player in this quarterback competition performs, the eventual number one. But, John, I'm almost more interested in how well the third-best quarterback performs. In other words, does the guy who's running third in all this perform well enough to make this truly a three-team race? 
because or I should say a three-man race because if that be the case then maybe all three of these guys stay through the start of the season whereas if you know let's say it's Carson Beck because he's the guy that's sort of thought to be the, the the favorite here right now if he just runs away with this then all of a sudden that kind of increases the likelihood that maybe one of these other two guys really does start looking to see if the grass is greener somewhere else but if the third guy in the race performs well enough that it really does stay a three-man competition then potentially all that much better for the eventual winner because he has to win a real competition to get there but also maybe that goes a long way towards contributing to some quarterback depth during the season because if you think you're close I think you'd be a fool to go somewhere else uh does that make sense yeah especially at the at the program level I mean you'd much rather be a contributing quarterback to the University of Georgia than 95 percent of the other uh, teams across the country and, and quarterback is a little bit harder to transition that late in the game you're talking about you know over the summer of trying to pick up and, and build relationships and um, you know be the guy in a system not not easily done in such a short window with that said it wouldn't be that surprising to me if one of them one of the quarterbacks decided to you know see if there's greener pastures elsewhere hey NIL deals certainly factor in, and, and I think probably less so than opportunity. Uh, guys want to play, and, and in this day and era, um, you're always looking for, is there a better opportunity for me to get out on the field and, and show what I'm capable of? So, you know, I, as a Georgia fan, I think the hope would be you never want to lose pieces, and you want to keep all the talent you possibly can in-house. I think realistically, um I would not be shocked to see one of those quarterbacks say, I, I think I've got more opportunity, a, a better chance to, to get out on the field quicker and uh, for more reps if I go elsewhere. So I think it's an important spring. I agree with you there. Um, and hopefully it, it it's not a matter of attrition where you lose folks that, you know, you, you really don't want to lose because there are some young guys that, um, even if their time is not now, that it could be very soon or, you know, and one injury away from being very relevant. I want to ask you about the defense here in a moment. Before that, let me remind folks, this is our Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update with John Stinchcomb here today. And, of course, don't forget, we've got a great opportunity, courtesy of our friends at Marlowe's Tavern, for a chance to interact with John even more coming up in just a couple of days for a really fun VIP Insider Lunch. Now, I believe you've got one more day to register on this. So go to dognation.com, click in for your chance on all of that. It's really easy there at dognation.com to kind of get involved in this. The lunch itself is going to take place on Tuesday, March 21st at the Marlowe's in Dunwoody. It's going to be myself, going to be John Stenchcomb. We're going to have a great time there on all of that. And so four winners are going to get a chance to bring a guest with them to this really fun uh insider lunch gonna be a great time so go to dognation.com for a little bit more on that one more big day to kind of get in for your chance to win coming up uh here this week we're gonna announce our winners four folks bringing a guest hanging out with john stinchcomb john we love obviously the chef inspired food from marlowe's but it's also a great chance to kind of hang out uh, with each other with some dog fans there as well i think it's going to be a great time i'm looking forward to being a part of uh, this with you here coming up on uh, march 21st yeah, Marlowe's always provides a great meal, so I look forward to being back there. And it's always fun to me when you interact with the fans as to what's on their mind and yeah. hear the questions that they have and the different perspectives, because sometimes they can offer uh, you know, a different angle and take on things than uh, we certainly have. And 
to hear what's on their mind is always a, a, a fun opportunity for me to be a part of. Yeah, I think it's going to be a special uh, day. I, I really appreciate Marlowe's Tavern making this possible. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Of course, I love the food, as you said, and uh, I love the chance to hang out with some dog fans there as well. Plus, it's kind of an intimate experience, too, just for winners bringing a guest. So it, it's going to be a, a good time. So go to dognation.com to find out more about that. You get a chance to register for your chance to win. We'll announce the winners later on this week on all of that, courtesy of our friends at Marlowe's Tavern. By the way, speaking of on fans mind as we transition the defense here for just a couple of quick minutes john here's what's also kind of on my mind a little bit right now too you know by this point in time it sort of seems like we've kind of kicked around every uh spring storyline you possibly can but if there's an area in which i don't think we've talked quite enough about as of yet to me it may be on the defense with how javon bullard is going to get used i think by the end of last year javon bullard had kind of emerged as one of georgia's most important players uh obviously doing amazing things that kind of extra defensive back that star position but in 2023 it seems like if you want to keep him there he's obviously shown you can be great at that i think you could play him at safety if you wanted to if you wanted to transition to cornerback you might even be able to do that i mean it seems like you could do with him in the secondary almost anything you wanted to and in 2023 it seems like the door might be open for him to do something a little bit different how valuable do you think bullard is for this georgia defense and where would you like to see him used here this season yeah between him and malachi starks i mean he, the the future is bright i think you know once again you're you're replacing some cornerstones i mean uh, chris smith was a guy that became so reliable in that back end and same thing with keely ringo and when you're going, geez, you're losing two guys that Georgia has really grown accustomed to seeing in that back end, you're grateful for guys like Bullard and Starks that uh, even as they came in are already making some big-time plays and feel very confident in what they can bring to the table. Different skill sets, right, between the two of them, but you know, playmakers nonetheless. I mean, that's a commonality between them. And with Bullard, his flexibility and his versatility allows for – um, some some more options on that back end, depending on where we're at with the development of you know, some younger corners or safeties. I think Bullard gives you that flexibility to adjust accordingly. Again, you're looking to put the, the best playmakers out on the field that can consistently uh, perform. And when, you know, I, I, I pair them up. I think Starks and Bullard are both guys that came in early and were ready and um, you're just picturing, you know, the sky's the limit as to what they're capable of doing because, you know, more game experience and more time on task and more time in the program to see what their potential might be is, is really, really promising for all Georgia. Yeah, speaking of Starks, you know, to kind of finish up with this, the other thing to me that's interesting defensively is is that I think the spring could be a preview of what eventually emerges as a brand-new collection of, like, bona fide high-end stars in that defense i think starks has a chance to be that i think he had some growing pains as a freshman a year ago but he wouldn't have been playing so much if he didn't have a very bright future you know what you saw in the national championship game from guys like mikhail williams and bear alexander i think they're very close to having breakouts there as well john i think the next few weeks starting tomorrow and the next few weeks after that you know will be the introduction to what could be the next crop of sort of superstar level players for this Georgia defense. Would you agree with that, that, that we may be about to see some of these young guys kind of take that next step? Yeah, there's certainly some high feelings for some guys. I mean, you just bring in just talent. Uh, you, you mentioned up front with Bear and Michael, the two guys that, um, you know, came in early and flashed. And that's a position that, 
you know, I do think you need time in that weight room and time playing against you know, SEC caliber talent to make that adjustment. And I expect there to be a significant sophomore jump as they've had time in the program and developing and playing against, you know, one of the best offensive lines, if not the best offensive line group uh, in the country. So um, as you're replacing guys like Nolan Smith and Jalen and uh, Robert Beal Jr., I mean, those are guys that were really longtime contributors and uh, yet another top five defensive lineman that's walking out the door to, to go play professionally. And you think, man, there's there's still horses in the stable that are uh, are pretty capable, and their potential is through the roof. So I'm excited to see what they do. I think, um, you know, with the exception of maybe Adam Anderson a couple of years ago, um, Georgia still hasn't had that elite pass rush threat that, that you found in some other programs. And I think uh, there's some potential there. Uh, from from guys that were freshmen this past year or incoming that you know you can get really excited about john it is so great to talk to you about all this i'm happy to have spring practice here it's going to be a lot of fun leading up towards g day and of course your information on all that and your insight is always really valuable looking forward to seeing you on the 21st for our marlowe's tavern vip insider lunch for those who were able to win on that contest and of course back here again in our show next week there as well john thanks for your time we'll look forward to talking to you then Always enjoy it, B.A. Go dogs. Yes, sir. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, I'm lucky. I mean, on a day like that for the VIP Insider Lunch, you know, folks want to hang out with John. I get to come just sort of enjoy the food. I'll kind of throw a topic out there and let folks kind of go at it, and I'll just sit there and eat my French dip or whatever it is that I'm eating on that particular day there at Marlowe's Tavern. I, uh, I, I love all of that. That's going to be a great time we might can bring that music down just slightly if you don't mind as we transition here cruise around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean by the way speaking of lucky we are also what is today's date we're not quite a month away but we're getting close just outside of a month is about six weeks i guess if i'm doing the math correctly maybe more than that uh anyway we're getting close to the second ever cruise with dog nation on board independence of the seas april 24th to the 28th Cannot wait for that. Such a great time. Our good friend Kaylee Mansell right now, she's on a uh, Royal Caribbean cruise. Man, it's just a really fun time to be doing that. If you're watching on video, you see they're a really cool look at Icon of the Seas, the brand new uh, ship that debuts January 2024. I also saw some information this week. There's another Icon class ship they've already began, uh, construct, began construction on uh, there too. So Royal Caribbean, man, they're just out there pushing the envelope redefining what it means to take a cruise vacation we had a great time uh, a couple of weeks ago we were on board wonder of the seas that wonderful seven night sailing looking forward to being with all of you on board independence for the four night sailing here coming up and then thinking about big time stuff already in 2024 there too it's just fun it, it is really really fun and uh the weather was pretty crummy yesterday maybe wish i was on a royal caribbean cruise ship kind of getting back uh, at that again so we'll be doing that before too much longer and we'd love to have you make your own plans for a great royal caribbean cruise vacation yourself our good friend jessica slater the one to turn to on all of that jessica's a great travel agent she helps me book the royal caribbean cruises that i take she helps everybody book their dog nation cruise and she can help you there as well so give her a call 770-718-9147 that's 770-718-9147 or royaldogs.com it is royaldogs.com to find out all the great stuff that royal caribbean's got going on and all the ways in which you can access your own royal caribbean cruise vacation here this spring heading towards the summer uh thinking about 2023 early 2024 
it's time to think about all of that. All right, let's go cruiser in the SEC here for a moment. We'll begin with this. Shout out to the son of Georgia co-defensive coordinator Will Muschamp, Whit Muschamp, one of uh, uh, Will's sons, announcing a commitment to Vanderbilt yesterday. Uh, I think this is really good news. Uh, Witt is a very good quarterback. He transferred to go up to the Baylor school, which is like Chattanooga, kind of a pass-first offense there, kind of wanted to play in an offense that had a chance to showcase his skills and he's i think had a really you know good career there so going to a vanderbilt program i think it's a pretty big deal for whit muschamp we send him some grad- congratulations on all of that uh, i made a little bit of an error in getting ready for today's show i was going to try to show you this on the screen and i failed to prepare this to show you so i'm going to read this to you instead as we transition here there was a tweet the other day from a guy named david hale who covers college football for uh, espn they kind of got my attention you know we have one more year left of a somewhat traditional world of the sec with two divisions east and west you're moving in 2024 to the brand new sec and all of that and i think it's gonna be very interesting to see how texas and oklahoma fit into the sec that's on its way here And what david hale kind of pointed out is if you go back and look over the course of the playoff era which dates back to 2014 if you look at the teams that have scored 28 points or more and still lost over the course of that span of time since 2014, the team that's done it the most is Texas Tech. Maybe no surprise, 31 times they've scored 28 and lost. They play no defense. For a long time, the Big 12 has sort of played no defense. No real surprise there. Behind them on the list, a couple of uh, Pac-12 teams, UCLA and Arizona. You see a lot of Pac-12, a lot of Big 12 teams on a list like this out west. They've just played less defense in the playoff era. Maybe no surprise there. But down near the bottom of this list, you see both Texas and Oklahoma. According to David Hale from ESPN, in the playoff era, Texas and Oklahoma have scored 28 or more points and lost 16 times. That makes for a very interesting transition to the SEC because obviously in the SEC, you have got to play some defense to be successful. Georgia's been a great defense. They're back-to-back national champions. Alabama has been an explosive offense, but they really haven't played much defense to go along, at the, at the championship level anyway, and they've kind of fallen short. You know, LSU in 2019, maybe the best offense of all time, but they play just enough defense to also give them a chance to kind of finish off that year with the national championship. The defense is still a part of the equation. Obviously, offense is more important than it's ever been, but defense still has a role in how well your season's going to go, especially in the SEC. You don't see four wide receiver sets in the SEC. Teams play with tight ends. Teams want to have physical offensive lines. Teams want to run the football. This is still a league that embraces what I like to think of as real football. Uh, there's not a lot of you know, 42-35 type shootouts. There are some from time to time, but this is a league where defense matters. And Texas and Oklahoma are going to kind of bring a little bit of a Big 12 residue with them where they're used to scoring some points and in some cases losing games which they score those points 16 times since 2014 scoring 16 or 28 or more points and 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 losing uh that'll make for an interesting transition in the sec and you're left to wonder does it also make for some growing pains when it comes to all of this i think that remains to be seen i think it's quite possible which also kind of in this kind of getting away from the point i wanted to make but and also kind of gets into the discussion we've been having as you sort of talk about permanent opponents and things like that of, well, what really counts as a tough permanent opponent? Is it a team like Tennessee, which is good now, but hasn't been good for much of the last 20 years? Or is it a team like Oklahoma, which actually in 2022 wasn't very good, but had been good for the 20 years, you know, kind of prior you know, to that? I think it's hard to know. I, I think how the various teams are going to see their personalities evolve 
some SEC teams playing tougher schedules, Big 12 transitions like Texas and Oklahoma sort of facing a different brand of football than they've been used to playing. This transition the SEC is about to undergo, I think, is going to be quite, quite fascinating. And it is not going to work out well for everybody. And we'll see how well it works out for the former Big 12 teams like Texas and Oklahoma as they try to sort of figure out can they fit into an SEC world. In the case of Texas A&M, I'd say for the most part they haven't. Uh, they've been good occasionally, but for the most part they sort of still feel a little bit Big 12-ish in the SEC. We'll see if Texas and Oklahoma fare better on all of that. By the way, with that thought in mind, Greg Sankey speaking this weekend at the SEC men's basketball tournament in Nashville was talking about a timeline for making some announcements about the future of SEC scheduling, pointing to those traditional spring meetings for the SEC that take place in Destin, Florida in the month of May. Now, I think the SEC would have liked to have rolled this out a year ago, didn't have enough cooperation from the league members to be able to do that, but now hoping to be able to do that this year in May, letting you know what the future of SEC schedule is going to look like. This seems like the worst kept secret in the world. It seems like they're definitely going to the nine-game schedule, and we already kind of know in some cases who various teams um you know permanent opponents are going to be there'll be three of them if the league does go to the nine game schedule we believe i think we may even in fact already know all of them based on some of the reporting that's out there but that's at least to some degree speculation but the point is by the month of may we may finally have the official announcement about the expanded schedule going to the nine game conference slate uh going to the three permanent opponents I guess what would be interesting from a Georgia fan standpoint is, and I don't know the legalese around the contract on this. I know there are two option years remaining. Do we also hear about the future of Georgia Florida at the same time we hear about the future of everybody else in the SEC and the expanded schedule that takes place there? I don't know legally what's even possible on that, but that's at least worth keeping your eye on given the fact that the kind of official tenure of the contract does end this year with option years to come beyond that for the next two years in the Georgia Florida deal so keep your eye on that but point is Greg Sankey says by May we may hear we likely will hear but the future of the SEC scheduling so worth pointing out on that one more I'll give you here too NCAA tournament field is set and announced I was joking with our video audience before the show started I have watched so little college basketball this year I probably watch about five or ten minutes a night normally before my son goes to bed uh, we'll watch a little bit of basketball uh, together and that does not stop me however from having like massive opinions about this tournament of i could talk for hours but the bracket for a bunch of teams i haven't really seen play all that much i i do think there are a couple of interesting things here though and i'll run through this here very quick we don't talk a ton of basketball i'm not, not going to change that right now obviously the big issue is is will the number one overall seed alabama win it all now there's controversy related to alabama i don't even have the energy for that i'll leave that for somebody else to talk about but in terms of will they win it on the court so there's this like long-standing like checklist of what ncaa tournament champions usually have there's only kind of one outlier team in the last 20 whatever years it was kevin ollie and yukon a few years ago for the most part every tournament champion you can read about this online i don't have all the facts right but it's basically like something to the effect of like top 20 offensive efficiency defense efficiency you know top whatever schedule there's this long you know track record checklist of every national champion has these things well the only team that fits that criteria this year in the country based on some of the gambling folks that kind of write about this kind of stuff is alabama and the thing they come the closest to not achieving because this has been a year where there's like a little bit more parity in college basketball than you've had in some instances the thing that alabama comes close to not having enough of are assists compared to turnovers that 
that you know national champions and what we think of as sort of the modern era have more assists than turnovers to go along with a lot of other things. Alabama does turn the ball over a little bit. So I, I guess if you're looking for a reason they might not win the title, that might be a reason, but that's interesting. I'm also a very big conspiracy theorist when it comes to the NCAA tournament. If you look at who the committee wants to advance and who they don't want to advance, you usually find something pretty interesting, and I think what you find can usually help you with your bracket there as well. For instance, who is a one seed the committee definitely doesn't want in the Final Four? I'd say it's a team like Houston. Well, guess what Houston has to do in round two? They may have to play Auburn, which seems you know not necessarily the most daunting task, but they will play them in Birmingham because of the way in which the pod scheduling setup goes. So just keep your eye on some certain things like that for teams the committee might not uh, mind advancing teams the committee might not mind if they don't advance you see some interesting stuff there also i know there were some complaints about texas a&m from aggies fans only getting the seven seed the one thing we know for a fact is the committee does not care about conference tournaments they don't even watch them unless there's an automatic bid that's stolen away there is very virtually nothing that happens from a seeding standpoint based on conference tournaments so uh, aggies complaining about the seven seed after making the run to the final in the sec we do potentially get the uh, round two matchup though between texas and texas a&m something we failed to get in football and if texas a&m had its way we wouldn't even get the new sec schedule it doesn't seem but we might get that in basketball when it comes to the aggies and the longhorns in the ncaa tournament so i love this time of year we don't talk a ton of basketball around here uh it'd be nice to think about georgia being in this conversation one day in the future for now though they're just hoping to get a certificate of occupancy for their gym but listen small baby steps along the way towards eventually uh, making a push at all of this uh but ncaa tournament does begin this week bunch of sec teams in the mix there including alabama uh now a basketball school trying to win a uh, championship here in basketball we'll see if they're able to do that by the way speaking of championships alabama can only dream right now of winning football national championships that's because george is hoarding them all and we obviously like celebrating that around here. And many of you enjoy the celebration by getting his, your hands on as many collector's items as you can get. Well, the latest addition to that list is coming from our friends at Jittery Joe's. In fact, I want to show this to you. The back-to-back National Championships 10 here with the Jittery Joe's coffee inside. Now, you love the Jittery Joe's coffee made with 100% Arabica beans. Uh, you love how great that tastes. You've known Jittery Joe's coffee for a long time, but now you get not only the great Jittery Joe's coffee, you also get it in the commemorative collector's 10. Got the Power G on the top, the back-to-back National Championship logo. And as you scroll around here, you see details about the undefeated season for Georgia, all kinds of fun facts about UGA. This is a great way to let everybody know you're a big dog fan and to let everybody be reminded of the fact that georgia is back-to-back national champions and of course you can enjoy some great jittery joe's coffee as you do that so pick this up jitteryjoes.com if you want to get this jitteryjoes.com to get your commemorative 10 celebrating georgia's back-to-back national championships and as we wrap up here today by the way speaking of uh, alabama you know uh over the weekend we uh saw march the 10th roll by and march the 10th has a very special uh memory for uh, some georgia fans in fact i'll show you this is our golden shoe winner for today uh georgia fans love rubbing into the face of alabama fans on twitter uh Derek green says happy 310 also known as third and ringo uh there for georgia getting the uh national championship against alabama so Derek green having some fun with that uh, always like making fun of the uh, alabama crimson tide never a bad day to do that so we'll give Derek a golden shoe for doing just that and we also like making fun of those lousy stinking gators run here there as well as I mentioned before, we don't quite know what the future of the cocktail party is in Jacksonville. There is a chance it could be coming to an end, but we're going to party at this one like it is the last one. 
and remind those lousy stinking Gators that coming up in 229 days from right now, uh, they get another beat down at the hand of the Georgia Bulldogs. That is our Gatorator countdown. We'll see you at the start of spring practice tomorrow right here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella window and door of georgia and of the podcast time now for the rs andrews podcast cool down we'll take your comments via twitter at dog nation daily comment section of dognation.com jd brandon writes in uh asked an interesting question um to actually tags both jeff and me in the question i think it's an interesting one he says i've been getting into it some big 10 folks lately about their media rights deal and how it's going to put them over the top against us do you know what the SEC is pl- planning to compete with that deal? And does it include more expansion for the SEC? I think it's a really fair question. And here is the thing that I think is, at face value, true for now. As of right now, the Big Ten is slightly bigger business from a media rights standpoint than the SEC is. You know, you look at the way in which the, the Big Ten deal is constructed. I think they're expected to make a little bit more money per school per year what the sec is expected to make even with the addition of Texas and oklahoma to the league some of this is related to the fact that the average big 10 school is just a pretty big school uh you know larger alumni base uh you know larger states in some respects you know a lot of the sec states are actually pretty small and in the case of like say the state of mississippi which is already one of the smallest states in the country it's split by two different sec teams so you have a situation where some of the schools in kind of the sec footprint sec schools are not nearly as big as their counterparts would be to the big 10 so here is what might be true if a big 10 fan wants to say hey our league right now represents bigger business than the sec i think if i'm doing the math correctly or if i'm you know kind of following the reporting on this correctly i think it is true that that the from a media rights standpoint that's probably the case but if you're a sec fan or a georgia fan you want to try to win this argument against the big 10 fan well how do you come back on that Here is the thing that I'm not quite so sure about, and this is what, if I'm an SEC fan, I want to explore. Okay, so what does more money get the Big Ten school? In other words, you know, what does the Big Ten get for a better media rights deal? They get more money, but what do you use that money for? Does the money make you a better football conference than the SEC is? Well, these last couple of years would suggest that's not the case. Michigan, big, bad, big 10 team. Do they look like they belonged in the same field with Georgia in the 2021 season? I'd say no. Ohio State gave Georgia a big, tough battle here this year in the Peach Bowl. Georgia still won. You know, teams like Ohio State and Michigan are the biggest, you know, sort of business entities in this big business that is the Big Ten. But money does not close the gap when it comes to competing for championships because there's an element of what happens on a football field. The money just can't buy that, yeah, you may pay your way into a certain level of stratosphere and the Big Ten may have an advantage over other leagues like the Big 12 and the ACC and the Pac-12 because they don't come close to competing financially. But in terms of that little bit of financial edge that the Big Ten might have over the SEC, it's not obvious to me that money can be used to kind of close the gap with what's happening on the football field because there's an element of toughness and just general athleticism that the SEC seems to have the Big Ten doesn't and the money edge the Big Ten has doesn't seem to be proving capable of closing that gap so uh, that's what would be my response JD if you're going back and forth with Big Ten fans the Big Ten fan is bragging about oh look at the money our league is making I would come back and say not too sarcastically but just straightforward and truthful what about that money? Is any of that money getting into your pocket? If so, then why do you care about it? Because it doesn't certainly seem like the money that the Big Ten is making for itself, about to make for itself, is necessarily helping them 
build better football teams would exist in the SEC because we've got a little bit of an example the last couple of years of Big Ten schools battling SEC schools and it hasn't worked out too well for the Big Ten schools in question when they've gone up against the Georgia Bulldogs. So that would be my response to all of that. Either way, thanks for being here for our podcast, Cool Down. Of course, find R.S. Andrews online, rsandrews.com, for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, electric needs. They'll show up on time. They'll do the work that's promised, the price that's promised. You can trust R.S. Andrews on all of that, including getting your air conditioning unit tuned back up to factory fresh specs. Find them online, rsandrews.com, for more on that. Y'all have a great day. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Spring practice gets going. Uh, We'll talk to you then. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella, Window and Door of Georgia.